So today we're going to talk about developments that have been happening, lots of them. But first, let's address the questions that many have. I posted my response on uh, Telegram to help. How are you alive, Tori? How come they haven't taken you down like Assange? Remember, I've always said that the only way that you can eat an elephant is peace by peace. They have been tearing me down over the past mm, six, seven years, slowly, planting little things, ensuring that they can pop things when they can. But right now, what's keeping me afloat is the fact that I have truth and the people want truth. And those who want to get at me are scared of you. They see that the people are indeed an army, not with weapons. Someone earlier said we should quote Nancy Pelosi that we have a lot of weapons in our arsenal and our weapons are the law. Now, unlike Julian Assange, who I admired from when he was really young, like the things he did were incredible. The problem he had was that at that time, there weren't any clear lines of enemies. The mainstream media was split, honest media, that supported him. Hateful propaganda creeping up that denounced him. Nations afraid. So his message was always muddled. How are they going to make a hero out of someone that is exposing all of them? And it was really, really hard because they couldn't get a uniform response. But for me, on the other hand, it was very easy. Everybody hated me. The right, the left, the apparent good guys. <laughs> like I always say, hate me now, but love me later. The mainstream media, lamestream media, right media, conservative media, loser, hopium, red string, digital, BS, everything, loathed me. They attacked me. <laughs> they attacked me so much that little old me has been put in global publications, national publications, all dragging me through the mud. They ignored me after they attacked me. <laughs> and people questioned wait a minute, why are you ignoring this person? If there's evidence, 
In truth, why are you ignoring it? That uh, rightfully allows the people to have doubt. This is how you sow the seeds of doubt. And when you're going to need the people, they will not be by your side because you did this. You did. No one else. So it's so easy, so easy to see now that you can tell who's full of it and who's not. I mean, for me, damn, I didn't even spend a penny. But there's been two days of symposiums just proving my affidavit. And like Game of Thrones, George R.R. Martin said, when you tear a man's tongue, you are not proving him a liar. You're only telling the world that you fear what he may say. And indeed, that is exactly what they do. And the fear, right, is really important here, the fear factor. Because every weapon that they have forged, every plant that they have tried to use in history and throughout time against good has come back as a boomerang. Anything that was intended for evil has always been beneficial for good. That's how it works. I think it was yesterday that I was complaining that I couldn't go filed my case in Cleveland. There was always something, oh, we don't make an appointment, COVID this. Thank God. Because little did I know that a very short and concise email sent to the city gave me all their oaths of office. And now I got to find it differently. You know, I got to file it differently. Thank God I didn't file. But, you know, in one sense, I have to thank that limp-wristed, evil attorney general of North Dakota. Because if he wasn't texting his butt buddy, Obama, when he received combos from McCain and when he kind of sat with Pence back in 2017, right, I wouldn't have record of that stuff. I would have no record. So he probed me illegally, violating every single civil right I can have. Couldn't come back with anything criminal. So he just lawfared the shit out of me. Drag me through the mind. See, anybody talking about my case obviously hasn't read it. And if it wasn't for that and the multiple IIAs deployed against me and all this smearing and everyone trying to shut me up, you would never know where the truth really sits. I've said this before. I sometimes think God believes I'm Atlas because he gives you a cross that he knows you can bear. But damn. <laughs> I think he thinks I'm Atlas. Now, truth is the ultimate shield against anything. It attracts those seeking it, like a light in the dark. And it's most effective in the dark because all you need is a little flicker. So every time they attack me, my voice gets louder. The more they ignore me, the more they show the world just how much fear they have of me. Those that ignore you when you speak the truth. They only do that because they fear that you are exposing them for not speaking the truth in its entirety. Remember, half-baked knowledge and partial truths are very, very dangerous. It's called misinformation both ways. Those that attack you for speaking the truth do it because they fear that you're exposing them for lying. In the end, truth always wins. God always wins. And this is why they hate me. 
okay? You can't defeat or destroy truth. It's the same thing as creating or destroying energy. You just can't. It simply is. So the more you attack or ignore truth, the more righteous it becomes. And what's shameful is, is that we have Bible thumpers. Bible thumpers should know that. His word tells you. Those that read the Torah should know that too. It says that too. Those that read Muhammad's word should know that because it's clearly spelled out as such. And what is also spelled out as such is that fear is not something God created. Evil did. The only way that you can spark a fire in any anything is with unconditional, impartial, real and everlasting love. That's how you do it. In the end, it's not me they fear. It's you. Why? Because the people armed with truth and knowledge are dangerous to them. Now, while people speak of game theory, they can have as many titles and tiaras as they want. You can, you can have imimathia, half-baked knowledge. To be good at game theory, you have to know the game. They don't know the game. They think they do. And that's why I always say, nothing can stop what's coming. I meant it when I said it. And I also meant no deals. This has gone way too long and too far. While I'm getting a ton of messages, oh my gosh, we already knew all that stuff. Oh my gosh, we already knew all that stuff. But I'm getting a ton of messages from people telling me the symposium is BS, this, that. It's not BS. They poured a lot of time, money, and effort. And Mike Lindell has put his whole bank account into it. Because he wants the truth out there. He wants the truth out there. But the funny thing is, I'm pretty sure they're using an outline because it's kind of weird. What's also weird, too, is that, you know, today we had Ron Watkins, who wouldn't have even had the job he got in the fall if it wasn't for the person he called out claiming you need to return the drives. But that's not all. Calling out someone that has benefited you. God knows I dug my heels into that one. I was like, nope, 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 nope. But he mentioned Ty Clevenger. Are you kidding? Like we all know where that name sits. So this is it. I mean, it's clear and transparent. It makes absolutely no sense as to how anybody can sit there. There was some guy who gave him a purple cue heart. Who gave you the permission to do that? And that is, I got so many messages from so many people that are veterans that are so pissed at that. Like, who does that? That is so tasteless and disgusting. And they speak like they know what they're talking about. They talk like, you don't know. Guys, you guys didn't even know who Phil Waldron was. Now you know. I knew Phil Waldron before that. Patrick Berge actually knew him way before me, like working with him. Most of the people on the red team I know too. 
And they're really great people, really great people. And they all know how freaking salty I am. And all they could say is, I know. <laughs> Doesn't help. I mean, I know. They're just going through petabytes of data, sorting things out. <laughs> but it's like, are you kidding? One person actually reached out to me and said, oh my gosh, can you believe this? Blah, blah, blah. Told me that, you know, he was trying to buy my loyalty. Guess what I said? How's he going to buy your loyalty when you're already fucking bought? Clown. Ooh. They don't like that. See, this is the problem. This is what they don't like is that they will be called out the way they are. The way they are. And what, what you need to understand is what I was seeing during that whole symposium was another data grab by the good guys, of course, right? It's still data though. We want all your information, your address, how you voted and everything, give it to us so we could just check. <laughs> you see? You see, that's, that's a problem. We don't need to image anything. We don't need to hold on to things. We just need to audit all 50 states. Like I said, it would a couple, I think it was the, uh, the couple days after the elections. I was like, we're going to audit all 50 states here, write this letter. Remember you guys wrote that. And I told you guys that we're going to do it. <laughs> Obviously and was like, that's so stupid. We don't need all, we just need the contestant. And it's like, what did I say? I said all 50, we're going to get all 50. And the way it's going to happen is the right way it's going to happen. And at the same time, at the same time, as we're auditing, we're going to be cleaning up house completely. Because I said this is the year of disappointment. And we are going to disappoint a lot of people. It's already started. It's not, you know, something new. We're already disappointing these people that are propping themselves up as you know, our voices when they're really not. They're really not. Nobody can be your voice. They groom actors and they find people, you know, that pop up and they're just like, oh, I'm just talking about things. I don't, I'm not an expert. I'm just having a conversation. And this happened, what, five months ago? And now they're sitting at the forefront of things. Nobody can see that. Oh, but they are, yeah. You can't manufacture resumes? Stop. And it brings me to this. There was um something that um actually Four, PSYOP sent me. Hold on. That PSYOP sent me. And I want to play a little clip of this just so you guys can, can hear this. Because it's quite fascinating. Okay? I want you to hear from another guy just some stuff. Just so you can see how far they'll go and you will never see who's in front of you. And this is why I get upset because I know I can't say it. I'm not allowed to. It's like knowing the winning lottery numbers and doing it. Listen to this. Speed with it. But anyway, we went and met in a in a out in a forest, and uh, he had a purple and black backpack with about half a million. In, he said it was half a million in cash. I didn't count. I could see the money, but he said we're gonna we got a job for you. And I said okay. Uh, you know where are we going? Which country? I figured it was Saudi Arabia or somewhere. I didn't I didn't know. 
And he said, no, it's here in the States. And I said, oh, in the States, okay, what kind of job is it? And he says, it's an EOD job, explosives and demolition. And I said, what's the target? And he said, it's a, a building. I said, what kind of building? And he said, it's a federal building. I said, what? He said, yeah, it's a federal building. I said, which one? He said, it's the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building. This was in October, early October of 1994, six months before anyone had ever heard about McVeigh or anything. And I was at the end of my rope by this time, and I knew it was a patchy job. I mean, a million dollars is not nearly enough for a job like that. And on top of that, what I told him, I said, you know, you guys went too far this time. I said, I can understand going overseas and doing this stuff. I said, but these are our own people. This is our own country, and there's no way I'm going to do this. I mean, I had a big patriotic thing come up. I was ready to kill him right there. And um, anyway, so that was the point where I I turned from being an asset to a liability um, for them. And then I was I was worn out. In See, that's how it always happens. It's the way Patrick Berge flipped. The way I flipped, apparently, right? was what we were their assets we did all these black operations and then when you realize it's your own people you say no for me it wasn't my own people that bothered me i'll tell you what actually i'm going to show you a video and i can tell you that i can actually relate to that monster and i'll tell you why so you can understand how people feel when they do things but this guy flipped right he flipped the minute he saw that he was supposed to explode a federal building in his own country. But he was okay doing it in other countries. By that time, and uh, I had nerve damage. I got 26% nerve damage down my right leg, nerve damage down my left hand, broken bones, all kinds of stuff. I had some uh, several severe head injuries and stuff like that. So um, I was on my way out, and uh, I didn't want any more to do. I just told him, I said, I can't take it anymore. I'm having bad dreams. I'm not operationally effective anymore. And he said, oh, you know, you can have a full EOD team. We'll give you where you're going. I said, no, I'm not doing it. I'm done. I've got to quit. i got to get out of this. I can't sleep at night. And so that's when I, and two days later, my handler, Duke Flagler, he got wind of it through the uh, op community. And he told me, uh, he said, uh, you need to leave the country. And I said, why? He said, now you know about an op. He said, uh, that thing's going to come off sometime. Um, and now you know about it. Now you're in operational risk. And they may just kill you to shut you up because now you know about it all. And he offered me the keys to his house in Belize. And he said, you can stage out of Belize. We'll meet you down there, and then we're going to get you somewhere. And so uh, that's how all that ended. And uh, I never worked, did any more jobs for him after that. Uh, I, I was just had it. What was the desired outcome, Cody? Did they have a discussion about what it is they were trying to do by blowing up the Mora building? No, no, no. I was just offered the job, okay? And there was, he said, there's half a million here. Now you get the other half when it's done. And like I said before, you know, he didn't give me any of the operational parameters because I hadn't accepted the job yet. Yeah. It's only after you accept the job that they tell you the necessary things that you need to know. Uh, to get it done because you want to know the minimum amount you can to accomplish the mission. That way, if you're caught and interrogated, you, you can't give anything up. So he didn't tell me why or anything. I learned all that later. Um, and after that thing blew up, of course, I went black. I went totally black, uh, you know, disguises, fake IDs, all that stuff. And I went down to uh, Oklahoma where between Tulsa and Oklahoma City, we had some uh, old safe houses. 
that were used moving the arms over in the CIA ops into our rows in the 80s is 82, 83, 84, 85 uh, over there in Arkansas. And that's when I was a uh, geophysicist in Tulsa, so it was right across the border. And um, I can tell you the story how we moved all those arms or whatever over there. But um, after the Murrah building bombing in 95, April 1995, I went black. I uh, was very uh, aware that I had turned that job down and that people knew about it and I was an operational risk. So I went black and and left the country for a little while and then came back later. Now, if you had accepted that job, how much time would be necessary to plan a job like that? Is it weeks, months? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Mike that, see, these are great questions. I love, I love this. Cause I don't get to talk like this, you know, much. Uh, but yeah, um, if I'd accepted that job, let's say that I said, okay, I'll take the job. And then I would have told him, you know, half a million and a million, a half when I'm done is bullshit. You know, you, you're going to have to give me 20 to 50 million for a job like this because it's domestic. And if you can't pay me up front, I'm not doing it. That's what I would have told him. But let's say I did take that job. Okay. Um, the way I would have done it is how they did it. Um, you got to remember that that this is this is going to be a big job, okay? And the Murrow building, when it you know when it uh, went up, it killed like 168 people. It shattered glass in 258 buildings. It was 652 million in damage. Destroyed 80 86 cars, so forth. So this is going to be a high high level, very uh, visible visible um, job. And you know there's going to be a lot of civilian blowback. There's no way you can cover something like that up. So what you have to do for the cover is you have to have a cover. And you would have to wire the building separately and then have somebody like Tim McVeigh or some other patsy uh, drive, you know, that, that story with the ammonium nitrate is so funny and diesel. The, the shockwave characteristics of those types of explosives uh, in no way uh, could destroy a building like that or even cause the, the minimal damage that we saw. Uh, on those films you're going to show everybody later. Um, but what I would have done was pre-wire that building with um, something like C4, um, which was plentiful in the ops community, uh, because it has a detonation rate of about 26,000 uh, feet per second, and it has that sharp-cutting hot explosive, uh, which is necessary to cut the uh, the big steel beams in that building. And then I would have supplemented that with maybe mercury or some, um, some type of... Uh, nano aluminum if that was available uh something like that and to cut the beams and everything and then what you do is have the cover uh like mcveigh pull up in a in a truck and you would have a more or less simultaneous detonation so that for the civilian cover on the outside you would say okay uh the lone bomber in the truck you know okay that's what took out the building but the bombing from the truck would be at the same time as the, as the detonation uh, in the building. That way, all of it would be covered up in one big explosion, and they could use their propaganda machine in, in the uh, media to say, oh, it's the lone bomber. But what happened, what really happened, is that two of the bombs didn't explode, and that caused a whole bunch of spin-off blowback, see? Um, anyway, so that's what I would have done on that building, was pre-wired ahead of time, and you would have went in with some kind of civilian cover, like being a phone, you know, you get some Southwestern Bell phone uh, trucks and, you know, you'd get a bunch of uniforms and stuff and, and you'd have some fake uh, work orders printed up and you'd show up with all your tools and phones and you'd have a couple of guys actually working on the phone lines themselves 
and everything would be a cover. You'd have a another team that would watch around you to make sure there were no cameras or civilian eyewitnesses, and then you'd plant the explosives and hide them and make sure the detonators were all right, and then get that all set up, and then you'd time that for when the Patsy arrived. How much time would be required, Cody, to put the whole thing in play from beginning to end? Is it six months, nine months, a couple of weeks? No, well, it depends. If you if you had the materials readily available, you know, all the C4, and they, they generally use M7 DuPont blasting caps. The problem with those military caps is it takes 3.2 volts to set those off, but you have to keep them shunted. In other words, you have to keep the leads connected because if you're in a big city, Look where the Murr building was, okay? It was downtown. The OG&E building, Oklahoma Gas and Electric building, was right across, uh, close to it. Um, they had, um, they had uh, other buildings, uh, you know, across the street. Uh, you know, there's cell phone towers. There's people driving up and down the road with cell phones. And what happens is you have secondary RF bleed off. It's radio frequency bleed off from civilian electronic devices. Okay. In the area, you're, you're running an op in an area. It's in a big city and there's a lot of electronic signals being bounced around the, the caps, the electric blasting caps, if that's what you're going to use. And that's what I would have used. You have to keep them shunted till the last minute. You could put the explosives in place a week or two ahead of time. The longer they're, they're, the longer they're in place, of course, the higher the risk that they're detected or found. So the ideal thing would be to put them in a few days before the op and then keep the cap shunted until right before that. Because, you see, Mike, if, if um, you unshunt those caps and you hook them up as a power source to detonate, a secondary signal can cause induced electric currents in the leads to the caps, and you can have a detonation. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so what I would have done if that was my op, uh, and if it was my op, all those all those bombs would have went off. They wouldn't have had any blowback because we're professionals at what we do. And um, I don't know what happened there, and I don't know who who they hired, but those guys are still out there somewhere. The people that actually did that and wired it, they they may be listening right now. Um, yeah, very few of them are going to step forward like me. Uh, and talk about this, but, um, yeah, that's what, that's how I would have done it. I would have had Apache pull up, uh, in a truck like that or had some kind of secondary, you know, civilian cover that, that would be believable to the civilian population in the area. And then I would have had the main charges all set to make sure that the building was collapsed, the records destroyed, and the whole thing laid off on Apache. That would be the perfect black op for that. Because you know afterwards, like, there's going to be news crews and films and everything else. And you've got to have something that's believable for the investigators that follow. Can I ask you, Cody, uh, I I interviewed uh, Chip Tatum, uh, the CIA whistleblower, on, on several occasions, uh, who was a former assassin for George Bush Sr. And he said when it comes to top assassins, the the really the the group of the people qualified for these type of top jobs are actually quite few. And so around the world, when you see it, it's very often the same people that are being used all over again and again and again. Uh, when it comes to these type of um, blowing up buildings or these type of operations, are is that the skill set needed? Is that sort of common knowledge among operators or do you need, or are we back to just a few 
select few that uh, can do these type of things. No, no, on an op like this, you know, we studied assassination, sabotage, and espionage, you know, for a long time. And um, I trained with some Israeli Mossad agents over in Tokyo and so forth. But um, in any intelligence group, um, you know, top assassins, just like Kip said, and God bless his soul, you know, for, for standing up and speaking out too, uh, and thank, thank him for that. Um, we need to shed as much light on this stuff as possible, uh, I believe. But um, assassinations are one thing. Uh, bombing a building is a form of assassination. But that building was not really bombed to assassinate anyone. I mean, you can assassinate someone with explosives on a, on a car, you know, with a solenoid or so forth. But um, the EOD requirements, explosives and demolitions, um, that's generally stuff from military guys. And so they would have hired a, an ex-military cutout, someone that had had um, demolitions training in, in one of the uh, uh, branches of the service, like Timothy McVeigh. He was a an ex-Desert uh, Storm uh, tank commander in, in Desert Storm 1 January of uh, 91. He, he did get a bronze star for confirmed kills. And so the perfect military cutout, you know, here's the patsy. Um, but EOD jobs are, are a lot different than assassination jobs. Uh, uh, you can use explosives to assassinate people, but it's really messy. And it, there's a lot of blowback associated with it. If you set a car bomb off in Bogota to kill a, uh, you know, a cabinet minister or something, they know that's an assassination. But if the guy has a heart attack one night uh, in his bed, then plausible deniability is maintained. And that person, uh, you know, they can say, oh, well, they killed him because he was a prime minister. Go, wait a minute. Well, how do you know that? He, he just had a heart attack. And so it depends on the ops. Some of the ops they hand you will be, yeah, we want these guys killed real public and messy because they want to send a message. Other times, it's, they want it quiet, where they, no, no one knows it was actually an assassination, because that's the perfect black op. The guy dies, it's natural causes, and everybody walks away. How common are these type of assassinations, the, the silent ones? Well, it's hard to know, because if you don't see the uh, forensic reports, it's hard to know. I mean, because people do die of heart attacks, and people do die of strokes. And, I mean, you can hit someone with a microwave-modulated microwave device, and you can fry the capillaries in their brain and uh, simulate a stroke. And when the standard civilian uh, doctors in the area do their uh, uh, forensic pathology exams, um, it looks to them like they just had a stroke and some of the blood vessels because broke because there's no evidence of a, of a microwave. Um, and so it's hard to say if it's a real stroke or a microwave, and that's the perfect plausible deniability you know there for a while they were using these protein synthesized poisons and um you know you coat the inside of a drinking glass and it dries perfectly clear and everything and then when the fluid hits it and they drink it the death comes in the first minute of the natural causes and and no one can tell they can do a standard analysis on an autopsy and they use things like a gc mass spec that's a gas chromatography mass spectrometer and they use, uh, they take tissue samples from the, uh, subject and then they gasify them and run a spectral analysis. And they also do a centrifuge on them to do uh, a mass separation so that they can tell the exact nature of the poison. But if you use strychnine or something, then they can do a sample and know the guy was poisoned. So I just wanted to say, I see someone said, seriously, I think January 6th was supposed to be next. Roxy, you're right. But unfortunately for them, I was there and I was kicking up a shitstorm. 
And while many <laughs> might say she wasn't playing well, I was, I knew exactly which Patsy they wanted to use too. <laughs> but instead they got others. So the, the problem that we have here is there are a lot of people like me that don't exist. He did explosives. Other people do, do assassinations. I'm the one that coordinated all those operations. Every single one in my specific domain was energy and government-appointed persons, meaning elections globally. And I've said that. Energy and money, because money is politics. And so this is why they don't want me talking. Because even all those people that you see that are fighting for you, and this is why I don't call them out. Bergy doesn't give a shit. He calls them all out. Is because I believe in redemption. But the problem is the people aren't that, no offense, that forgiving. See, because I've been in the position of working with these people. Come face to face with people. You, like I said, I've peed in a solid gold toilet in the palace a few times. So people, you know, don't, you know, Patrick's right sometimes when he says that I'm too forgiving. But what you're going to realize soon is um, that forgiveness is, and I'm struggling with it. To forgive someone is to understand someone. And that's where I struggle. See, I can forgive people when I understand, I can see it from their eyes, even though it's wrong, right? There are just a few things I just can't fathom, therefore cannot forgive. And that would be anything that has to do with children. Other than that, I can pretty much forgive even, I can forgive murder. Because through their crazy eyes, there's some justification in their mind, right? This is it. This is how we forgive when we can see it from their eyes. <laughs> You're not going to be able to see it. From those that are sitting there telling you, let me lead you. You will not be able to see it from their eyes. Because in your eyes, you can't fathom on any planet or universe how that would make sense. And this is why they pull your tongue out. I mean, a lot of you were posting in Telegram that all you do is have to put my name in a chat group and you are automatically banned. That should tell you everything you need to know. Everything. And therefore, when you support, watch, follow, you're just giving me, I know a lot of people stalk things. I'm in a lot of these groups just watching. Because everybody tells you their plan if you're paying attention. It's really sad. Because they don't seem to realize that history will not look kindly on them at all. Not one little bit. Not one tiny little bit. So people like me don't exist. <laughs> I mean, do you know how many journalists overseas were arrested for things that I did? Mm-hmm. Beheaded even some? Mm-hmm. Happens. Because you always have to have a decoy. That's how it happens. Not just for me, but for others. 
Oh my gosh, that's so true. Someone's like, <laughs> I'm like Voldemort. I, you know what? Ali Akbar called me that. I mean, the minute you say my name, it's it's you're gone. You're toast. Toast. And that's what sucks. They are in this echo chamber thinking that they're still doing, you know, and they have, they don't have even following someone like put down this chick went on Twitter for three days and she had like 18,000 followers. There you go. That's all you need to know. It, you can see everything is fake. Everything. You know how you could see real accounts? Like look at Roger Stone's account. He hasn't paid for any bots. Look at his telegram account. He has like 20 something thousand followers. He hasn't paid for shit. Those are all people that follow his account. Look at my account. It's got like, what, 30,000 on the main one, right? We're not talking all the other rooms, main one. That's organic. No paid bots. None. The truth is so bad that it'll be like the depression. People will be jumping out of windows. It is the most heart-wrenching, heartbreaking thing. I mean, I know a lawyer in Tennessee uh, who was fighting and then he sees that his own GOP made it so that they have no rights. How do you make it so to take away a right? How are they saying that they're taking away our rights and it's just is? I don't see any amendments. Infrastructure that includes labeling you as a threat. Huh. 19. 19 of them signed it. 19. Talk about that number on the movie too, didn't we? It's really, really important. Now let's just listen to a little bit more before we get into a really, really weird video. It's important to watch though. But if they use these new protein synthesized poisons, that means the natural metabolic process of the human body um, metabolizes out the poison as it's killing you. So you die and the poison is dissipated in the death process. Okay, and so these these poisons are very hard to detect. And it's hard to tell if it's an assassination or just a legitimate stroke. And so the answer to your question is is like how long's a string? I you know I don't know. Am I? I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'm talking too fast. I apologize. No, 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 no. You're doing great. Um, it's very intriguing. You had mentioned uh, the Mossad. Are you aware of uh, how often Mossad has been involved in these black ops operations? Is is this something that you're aware of or no? No, I'm not aware of. I have heard from other people in, in, in the black ops community that they liaison, of course, with the Israelis on, on several things. There are times like in Amman, Georgia. Let me say something about Mossad quickly. So when I was in D.C., I had written a very extensive affidavit with a lot more admissions than I'd like because I was actually admitting to crimes. Um, and then the one that was filed um, with the court case. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and admit to anything that can be construed as a crime, right? Um, but when I gave it to higher up persons, they were like, what? Oh, we thought it was Mossad. Hmm. For some reason, people that think they're in the know think that foreign intelligence agencies are on their side. I just wanted to point that out. Or, or something like that where people... Um you know, someone, the KGB or CIA may be running an op or something, and then there's a mutual advantage uh, to be gained from joining up with another intel agency like the Mossad. And so they'll cross uh, share 
their intelligence or their agents operationally. But that doesn't, that is a very strange thing because even the guys in the CIA don't trust each other much. And then the guys in the Mossad don't trust each other much. And then when you put them both together and they're supposed to liaison on an op, say to take down an Al Qaeda guy or something, um, you have all the distrust between the agencies, uh, complementing the distrust internally. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And yep. so, yeah. And so everyone gets real funny about stuff like that. And, and sharing the intelligence is another thing you need to know. The Mossad doesn't want to share anything unless it's absolutely operational necessary with CIA and vice versa. So, um, yeah, that, that's a big can of worms, stuff like that, but it does happen. Now you had mentioned, um, Timothy McVeigh and obviously he's, he's the patsy for the whole Oklahoma city bombing. And I was mentioning to Oli before we got started, Cody, that the thing that always got me with McVeigh was he never seemed very concerned about the fact that he got caught, that he was on death row. And then ultimately he was given the, uh, the death sentence. He was injected. So what is your view? Okay. So I just wanted to say, uh, someone just pointed out that spooks don't even trust spooks. That's true. And this is why spooks that are supposedly good don't trust me because I'm like super spook. I'm like Casper on steroids. Yet in my line of work, the people that I work with, there had to be that trust. And you would tell. You would always tell. I will tell you if I'm going to do you over. I will tell it to your face. And that is something that they always did. Tell it to your face. But CIA, they're not that smart. I'm just saying. They're not smart people. <laughs> Clear cut. Who McVeigh was, was he a mind control subject? I guess that, that's one of my questions. Maybe we can get into that a little bit. But he always seemed like a strange duck to me. Oh, you are absolutely right. Uh, this is a great. See, I haven't talked about this in a lot of the interviews. I know a lot of stuff. So let's just get into it. Um. I was three cells down from McVeigh. They planted me with evidence. We'll tell that story later. And I was, uh, I was three cells down from him in Supermax. I never got to see him. I talked to one guy who did get to talk to him. And I was there that day when he, uh, was executed or, yeah, he would, they sent him to the Terre Haute, uh, FCI, Federal Correctional Institute. That was June 11, 2001. But the skinny on McVeigh was, uh, he had been in Desert Storm. And he had got his shots like all the troops did going over there. And um, he was part of a covert experiment with Lockheed Martin that he didn't know about. He was given a standard uh, series of injections, and they implanted a microchip in him. And uh, back then, they were testing the protein codes for autoimmune response and so forth. And um, it was part of a Lockheed Martin covert test of their BEAST satellite system. It was a battle engagement area tracker system. And um, anyway, it was a real-time test where satellites could look down uh, on a battlefield, an active battlefield with smoke and fire, OL fires and dust and, and everything, and track people. Um, in some of the dog tags, they had experimented with putting microchips in them. That way, if a soldier was blown apart, uh, they could use RF uh, ID uh, instruments to find the bodies. And so this was part of a test, like if you put the chip in the buttocks, Usually during an explosion, you know, there'll be arms and legs blown off, but the torso will remain. And if you know what kind of ordinance is used, you can figure the blast radius and then uh, go back and find the body parts and get them all together, you know, to be sent back to the families. But 
he he was injected with that didn't know it and then later on when he got out got back he started developing sores on his butt and everything and um he had it removed and we know this because he wrote letters to his sister jennifer i have copies of those letters uh and when uh he was indicted the fbi went and took a lot of that stuff from her house and she was later called to testify up here in the 10th circuit federal court under judge richard mage and um so anyway to make a long story short he got back from uh desert storm and was kind of pissed about the microchip thing but he signed up with special forces at Benning and they had about uh Fort Benning they had a oh, over 100 guys in the class and uh he was approached clandestinely his CO and, and some CI guys got him and uh, like 10 other guys out of the class and had a covert meeting and said um we want you to work for us your front your front is going to be special forces you go ahead and finish your your school and and you get your green beret and everything, and we want you to conduct assassinations, bombings, and move drugs and so forth. And McVeigh turned him down, and uh, he didn't want to do it. And uh, we know this because he wrote his sister, Jennifer, and he laid out all the things the CIA wanted to do. I have a copy of that in this book. And so um, he quit that, and then he went up to uh, Buffalo, New York, to Calspan, uh, which is a huge contractor i mean they're in the air force's redstone program which was a uh you know a uh counter intelligence counter sigint ecm electronic countermeasures uh type of thing they did microchip work highly classified uh um, electronic stuff and he was a security guard there and i think it's there that he was approached the standard program of alienation and isolation when you take an ex-military guy that was in combat now he's sitting in some soft civilian job and psychologically he's bored shitless excuse my language but he's bored and um and then he's ready to do something and he also had the motivation uh you know to to bomb the murrah building because he had been microchipped without his knowledge he'd been offered uh, jobs to do a bunch of dirty stuff and he didn't want to do it and then on top of that he'd also seen what they did down at at waco uh he was actually there and I can tell you that story too, if you want to. He was at Waco too. Oh yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. No, you want me to tell you what happened at Waco? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if it doesn't are, interrupt are, are you, your do you want to? No, we can we can branch off in anything. Make a long story short. I knew a guy named Ron Cole who was a Branch Davidian. Uh, I'm not a Branch Davidian, but he was one of Koresh's best friends. Uh, just before the uh, compound was hit. That was uh, February 28th of 1993, where four ATF agents and six uh, British civilians were dead. Um, just before that date, Ron's sick mother was in Florida, so he flew down there. Uh, he was taking care of her. And then the next day, uh, he saw it on the news that that shootout had erupted, and he called Koresh immediately from the phone. That's before the feds cut the phone line. And this is what uh, Ron Cole told me, uh, straight to my face. I was not at the compound at that time, but this is what he told me. He said he called David Kress and he asked him what happened and Kress had just been shot. And the, the, the phone line would later be cut. But Kress told him, he said, well, how did it start? And he said that there was a, a ATF pulled up with cattle trucks and the Branch Davidian dogs started running out towards them barking and the ATF just started shooting them through the windows in a cattle truck. There was never an announcement, never a warrant, never anything. 
And so when they saw these guys in cow trucks shooting at the dogs, then they started shooting at the branch civilian compound. So the branch civilians returned fire, and that's when Chris got shot. So Rod Cole flew back up immediately, but by that time, the phone lines were cut, and the Fed had set a perimeter around the compound. And um, so Ron Cole got with the rest of the Branch Davidians that were not in the compound when the shootout started. They were up in Waco shopping and, you know, doing stuff in town. And they all banded together and set up a camp at the perimeter. And they stayed there for days uh, watching. And at night, they would see these black helicopters with no markings and no lights. They would circle the compound. And they saw streaks of light coming down, green, orange, red. And so they didn't know what it was. They were all civilians. And so they were looking at it with binoculars and stuff. And then they said, man, we wish you had some night vision. And there was a guy there. And he said, I've got some military night vision. And they looked at it. They could see the chopper, see everything. And they said, what is that? And he says, well, I just got back from Desert Storm. Um, they did night ops on those choppers over there. Those are M60 machine guns. And those are tracer rounds you're seeing. And they said, who are you? And he said, I'm Timothy McVeigh. And so McVeigh stayed with Ron Cole and those guys for a while. And they, they watched the carnage. What was happening, Mike, is, they were flying around at night circling machine gun in that compound up because it's a standard Delta Force tactic when you have insurgents in a building and you have a perimeter on the outside of the building. What you want to do is collapse the perimeter and get as close to the building as you can. Now, how do you do that? If the snipers are up on top of the building and the shooters, what you do is you take away the high ground and you press them and push them down to the lower floors Therefore, they can't shoot as far, and you can collapse the perimeter inward. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's what they saw, and that's what they watched. And then this story about Ron Cole goes on and on. But um, anyway, McVeigh had seen what they were doing, and uh, he said, you know, they're killing our own people. And they watched them do it. I mean, there was no trial, no nothing. They just machine gunned them to hell. And then uh, later on, on April 19th of 1993, that's when Waco ended. There were 54 dead and 21 children that were dead, and they lied to Governor Ann Richardson and told her there was meth labs and all that to violate the Posse Comitatus uh, rules, and they got tanks off Fort Hood. That's where my dad took his uh, his basic training uh, for the 25th Infantry Division, but they got the tanks off Fort Hood, and then they went and started that fire on a very windy day, and it burned the whole compound down, which covered up the murders that they'd committed with the helicopters. So McVeigh saw all that, and he was pretty soured up about that, plus getting planted with a microchip that made him halfway sick, and then also being offered uh, you know, all these covert jobs with the CIA to move drugs and assassinate people and then use the good name of the uh, Special Forces as their, as their cover. So a lot of people don't know this, but we have all this detailed in the book with his actual, not his actual letters, but copies of them. So McVeigh then, he had motivation to to bomb the Mora building based upon the chip and based upon what he saw at Waco. Well, he had a, he had a motive. You know, he was pissed off about what had been done to him. I'm sure, but um, he might have been offered a million dollars like me or ten million or something. I don't I don't know that, and I I never got a chance to talk to McVeigh because um, where we were up there was the tightest security uh, possible. I mean, uh, it was supermax solitary confinement and. Um, McVeigh, I talked to a guy named Gerald Tubules. He's a full-blood Lakota Indian off the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. And Gerald was a whole orderly. Um, he was the guy that they'd let him out of his cell, and his job was to mop and clean and so forth. And uh, he 
told me this straight to my face one day. He said, I said, he says, you know, McVeigh's right here beside you. And I said, really? I, I didn't, I didn't know. And he goes, oh yeah. He goes, man, the security's so tight. He said, they won't even let the guards talk to him. And I said, what? He says, yeah. He said, Lieutenant Russell and a couple of the other ones that are Lieutenant grade, they're the only ones that have clearance to even talk to him. And, uh, he said, I, I walked down and I was up on the floor and he was standing there with his face out the, the window. And, uh, you know, at the window and he, and all Gerald said was, Hey, and McVeigh said, Hey, and then the guards threw Gerald in his cell for three days just for saying, Hey, that's how tight the security was. And then, uh, right after McVeigh was executed there on June 11, 2001, I was at the FDC. That's the federal detention center, Inglewood, Colorado for a legal visit with my, uh, attorney, Harvey Steinberg. He's a Denver Broncos attorney, but, uh, one of my cellmates, Chris Holsinger, he, um, he had a, uh, attorney named Nathan Chambers and Nathan Chambers was Timothy's McVeigh, uh, McVeigh's, uh, attorney when he was executed and Chambers sat and held Timothy McVeigh's mother's hand at the, uh, death chamber there in lethal injection chamber at Terre Haute. So they killed him. Useful Patsy, right? But someone said, hey, my husband was a police officer at the Waco shooting during the time. He confirmed about the helicopters and said they played loud music as well. Do you guys remember during January 6th how they were playing music outside of the FBI building? Do you guys remember that? Same playbooks. I, I wrote a bunch of them because there's a few people that give orders to guys like Cody and other people and the shooters and the choppers and everything. They're the brains of the operations. You never see them. You've never ever heard any of them speak. You think you have, but you haven't. Now, and this is why I say, yeah, there were helicopters in Vegas, helicopters everywhere, 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 everywhere. I mean, we should have done this show on 9-11, but we're not going to be able to do it together. So a month early is best for the 20th anniversary. Because this is all going to come down, like it or not. And you guys are going to make it happen. You're going to make it happen. Because the problem that we have is that everybody wants control. Those that are evil don't give a shit who dies while they get it. It could be kids. It could be adults. It could be soldiers. You ask yourself why veterans commit suicide? Because they're like, I serve my country. And they have to have that cognitive dissonance. I mean, how do you fathom? I just shot this guy. I raped this guy. I harassed this guy until he died. I waterboarded him to death. And it was all over a lie. How can they live with that? It's really hard. It's very, very hard, very, very hard for them. So I'm gonna share a video, I've shared this before, but it was posted today in Telegram, so I thought I'd share that group's video again. It's um, a long lost video, but I can tell you, I know this is gonna sound really weird, but I can actually identify with him laughing. And God forgive me, because I'm a sinner, I, felt that people were just way too stupid and they deserved everything because they were, these humans are just dumb. It, they, they're asking for it. They have all the information they want and they just don't care for it. They want it. It's kind of like those twisted, it, there was a really dark time 
it was a period of, I would have to say, oh, it was right before I got pregnant. So fun story. I was told from a very, very young age that I can't have kids. Very young age. And then this weird thing happened, right? I got pregnant. Um, and I was like, what? I, I was told I can't be pregnant. I didn't even know I was until I was like four months along with my eldest, who was a twin. It was so weird. Um, and then I was told, yeah, you're not going to have children again. And I wasn't constantly couldn't have kids. I was like, well, if I had it one time, definitely going to have more. And then, <laughs> yeah, I was really active trying to have one. And then, you know, again, I, I, I got pregnant and it was right before I got pregnant that I was in that darkest period of time. It was the weirdest thing ever weirdest thing ever. I was so, I like, I laughed and it wasn't like I laughed like, haha, you know, but the operation that was executed in 2005, I was like, um, I was like, you know, they deserve it. They're letting us do it. So they're just so dumb. Look how dumb they are. That's the way I used to look at humans literally as idiots and I'd be like, these, they're so dumb. They're letting them do this. And they're paying them to do it too, right? They're paying them to do it. And they're all killing each other. So it's even easier because we don't even have to do anything. They're just doing it. And it wasn't until um, I, it was actually confirmed that I was pregnant because, I, and it was impossible. I mean, Phoebe was like an impossible, like she didn't have a heartbeat till months after there was a chance of conception, which was so weird. It was the most bizarre thing ever. So, and that kind of, I don't know, it was really weird. Um, that's where it changed. Um, like right after I had her in November, it changed because I wanted to go have a cigarette. And that was it. It was just, it was weird. I'm going to tell you, I can, I can, what he says is going to piss you off and the way he talks, but this is how every single person in office thinks about you, especially those that know, especially those that know, okay, especially those that know. They feel the same way, calling you idiots, and you're nothing to them. You actually are nothing because you've allowed this to happen. And it's like, well, they could always make it stop, but they're just too dumb to see. I've actually heard them say that. And they are right. Because we're so busy with life. And that's because they make life really hard. Here we go. Of all the financial titans and philanthropists of the 20th century, none are more complex or mysterious than George Soros. Like Carnegie, J.P. Morgan, and the Rockefellers, he amassed billions through ruthless business decisions. But now George Soros is worried. He thinks the global economy is coming apart at the seams and that the world needs to be protected from people like George Soros. Right now, his quantum group hedge fund moves $14 billion of rich investors' money around the world every day. Listen to what it was called, quantum group hedge fund looking for profits and answering to no one. Soros makes huge bets on whole countries and economies, 
Last year, when he saw cracks in the Asia boom, he began selling the currency in Thailand. Traders in Hong Kong followed suit, triggering a financial crisis that plunged much of Asia into a depression. In the last two years, you've been blamed for financial collapse of Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, Japan, and Russia. All of the, all of the above. That's, all of the above. Yeah, yeah. Are you that powerful? No, I think there's a great misunderstanding. The prime minister of, of Malaysia yes. um, said that the region spent 40 years trying to build up its economy, and along comes a moron like Soros okay. with a lot of money, and it's all over. He called you a criminal. It's easier for him to blame an outside force than to admit that they were mismanaging uh, their economy and their currency. The uh, French finance minister uh, talked about hanging uh, speculators from lampposts. I think that uh, I've been blamed, blamed for everything. I am See what he said? They deserve it. They're just mismanaging. If I can come in and destroy your country, then you're just too stupid. Like, what's your problem? Why are you bitching? I have power. This is what he's saying. Basically, there to, uh, to make money. I cannot and do not look at the social consequences of, of what I do. What's it like to have a statement that you make have such serious, grievous consequences? I mean, you can, it, it looks to me like in a number of situations, you can take a position against a currency or make a statement and the whole country falls apart. Well, it's a tremendous sense of responsibility, actually. Uh, and, it, and it's also a humbling experience because I am actually trying to uh, do the right thing. And sometimes what I do uh, has an unintended negative consequence as it did in, in Russia. Last month, he brought the First Lady with him for a look at some of the projects his foundation is funding. This is Mr. George Soros. While hundreds of thousands of Hungarian Jews were being shipped off to the death camps, George Soros accompanied his phony godfather on his appointed rounds, confiscating property from the Jews. Yeah, you know, see, you saw Hillary Clinton introduce him. They're friends, you know. He recruited her. You want power? You want to be in this? You want to live forever? You come to me. We sequester all the power, and then the powers that be will allow us to enjoy it. This is how it is. And you will continue to be here again and again. Let that sink in. These are pictures from 1944 of what happened to George Soros' friends and neighbors. You're a Hungarian Jew who escaped the Holocaust, right. and you watched lots of people get shipped off to the death camps. Right. I was 14 years old, and I would say that that's when my character was made. In what way? That one should think ahead, one should understand and, and anticipate events, uh, and uh, one, one is threatened. It was a tremendous threat of evil. I mean, it was a, a very personal experience of evil. My understanding is, is that you went out with this protector of yours who swore that you were uh, his adopted godson. Yes, yes. Went out, in fact, and helped in the confiscation of property yes. from the Jews. That's right. Yes. I mean, that's, that sounds uh, like an experience that would send lots of people to the psychiatric couch for many, many years. Was it difficult? 
not, not, not at all. Not at all. It, uh, maybe as a child, you don't you don't see the connection, uh, but it was it created no no problem at all. No feeling of guilt. No. For example, that uh, I'm Jewish, uh, and here I am watching these people go. I could just as easily be there. I should be there. None of that. Well, uh, of course, I uh, I could be on the other side, or I could be the one from whom it, the thing is being taken away. Uh, um, but there was no sense that I shouldn't be there because uh, that was uh, uh, well, actually, funny way. It's just like in markets that if I weren't there, of course I wasn't doing it, but somebody else would, 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 would be taking it away anyhow. In other words, the, whether I was there or not, I was only a spectator, the property was being taken away. Are you religious? No. Do you believe in God? No. Soros told us he believes God was created by man, not the other way around which may be why he thinks he can smooth out the world's imperfections. Part of the reason he is so rich is that the Soros hedge funds operate offshore in the Netherlands Antilles to avoid scrutiny by the Securities and Exchange Commission. So even while Soros tells Congress and the Treasury that hedge funds must be regulated to stop the global crisis, he's avoiding the rules. Why is it that, uh, that Americans can't invest in the quantum fund? It's an offshore fund. Why is that? Because the fund is not registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, so so uh, uh, we we are not licensed to do business in the United States. That's right. Because Be because we are not registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission, because we we find it more convenient to operate without it. So, in some ways, it's to escape regulation. Yeah, that's right. But you've been sitting here talking about uh, the need for regulation. Yes, and whatever regulations are imposed, we will obey. We will. We will. We, we already. One of your money manager that. told us uh, uh, that uh, you know uh, George really does think he's a god. <laughs> These people are evil. But one thing that you should have seen from that is where did the dossier begin? Holy crap, I told you I was there in D.C. when they were talking about it. Mother freaking Jones on those lists. But someone says he's 91 and still alive. And I should say, which version? So moving along, I want to remind you how they have us exactly where they want and how we're going to change it, you'll see. But as it got closer to the war and the war progressed, then they changed. By the 24th of March, 1933, with the passage of the Enabling Act, Hitler had obtained the legal authority to govern by decree. And civil liberties were suspended for four years. Basically, he took over everything which gives a state the power to exercise power. And he used it very ruthlessly. They made it clear that anybody who resisted them was going to have an extra time. That very quickly established their authority. 
Never underestimate the weapons of the state to dominate a population and control a population. Now unchecked by democratic restraint, Hitler had the power he needed to wage legislative war on the people who had always been his target. People he believed were a threat to his thousand-year Reich. Jewish people made up less than 1% of the population. But Hitler was intent on removing any Jewish influence on German society. New laws enabled the dismissal of Jewish professionals from government positions. In September, under the direction of Joseph Goebbels, Jews working in the media and publishing were dismissed, removing their voices from German cultural life. In 1935, the passage of the Nuremberg Laws enshrined persecution in law. Jews and gypsies were no longer citizens of the Reich. Marriage and extramarital relations with Aryans was also forbidden. The laws paved the way for the persecution which total war enabled. It normalized violence and persecution. Violence against Jewish people had been rife throughout the 1930s. But the most well-known incident was Kristallnacht, the night of the broken glass when on November 9, 1938, over 7,000 Jewish stores were looted, nearly 200 synagogues destroyed, 91 Jews killed, and 30,000 transported to concentration camps. For Jews, it has had a deep impact on their consciousness and their memory, because most Jews realized, experiencing the burning of their synagogue the destruction of their homes, the terror in straits, it symbolized the end of a German-Jewish relationship of what was also called the German-Jewish symbiosis. And most Jews gave up their hope or their notion that they still had a right to domicile in Germany. So that's why I think the CDC and the Biden administration needs to come out a lot bolder and say, if you are vaccinated, you can do all these things. Here are all these freedoms that you have. Far-left radicals have become increasingly desperate and increasingly dangerous in their quest to transform America into a country you would not recognize, a country in which they control every aspect of American life. Just as socialist and communist movements have done all over the world, they're cracking down on all dissent and demanding absolute conformity. They want total control. So that's a video that, um, hold on, when did we put this up? April. I showed that yes. to you in April. And last year, I told you, you will have a boot on your face. So in the meantime, let's take a look at this user-created video while we go get coffee for those that haven't seen it. Um, it's quite fascinating the way he put it together because it all comes, it's like three years worth of audio that he went through which is incredible. Take a listen. Batting 
for the same team, and guess what? They hijack a grassroots movement. That team is not you. They started silencing you like crazy, putting you in jail, banning your accounts. Some of them are buried in lawsuits. Marking. Violated the law. And segregating citizens depending on their choices. Nothing was done. Even when people like John Brennan lied before. stealing everything. We're ignoring facts to keep you in check. They ignore you. They laugh. Then they attack you. First the guy burned himself. Then the kids did graffiti, beat an old man and arrested him. All the corruption, all the evil doings, all the kitty issues, the money laundering, the selling of our nation, the use of our federal tax dollars. The Europeans are on their face eating dirt right now. Africa is so confused on the ground and they're all looking out from the side of their eyes saying, yo, America, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's insane. Anyone who reported anything that's happening has been deemed a conspiracy theorist and pushed. They infiltrated the Trump campaign and they infiltrated one of the most beautiful patriotic days. Infiltrated every fact to piss you off to the point. Kamala Harris. That you just Hunter don't care. Biden, Joe Biden, Ron Klain. He threatened you live on TV and you didn't even hear it. His staff. How they fooled you all. Let's try working or trusting these completely dishonorable people the pain that you're going to go through is because they no, have betrayed, betrayed you the people that you trusted betrayed you. everything you believe you have is an illusion they can convince you of anything everything is crumbling before you going into your brain and making you feel like you have no and way every out. single battle is a slap no across way. your face making you feel like there's nothing the you can do to leave the prison they've made or to even see it as a they've got the armor they've got the money the lawyers the media the megaphones, our goods, our water, our food, our commodities. You feel trapped. Like, okay, so we've got to take down the corporation. What's the point? Who cares? Why should I fight? They, they're they're bigger going than us. Up against they're Goliath. surrounding us. They're coming from the top. They're casting shadows. We need them. Our media That disappointment. There are mitigation steps always brings you to the right place but the mitigation primarily relies on you the people the only way you learn is if you the walk right through that fire in the swamp they took everything away from you. indicate just how big of an end because you were distracted with life i already know how this ends the thing is there's got to be things that are done in between but it's going to be pointless because guess what we're going to be the same place in no time flat i mean look the opportunity to stand tall for the people around the world. This is why the United States was designed to show that individuality together thrives because they all have different eyes, different ears, different hearts, different tastes. And this is why this is the most difficult nation to drop. So when you're trying to attack a giant, you guys are ready to take on Goliath. You want to find a tiny stone that attacks them where they're weak. The way to do that is to bring in a Trojan horse. We have laws on our state level. Know them. Get the money. The money was on hold until they completed their investigation. We have laws on our municipal levels. Use them. I said, you get federal tax dollars. You're discriminating against my child. See the loopholes. And not only that, I also ding them for not being ABA compliant for the blind on their website. I ding them with everything I could and they couldn't get tax dollars. In your city, you could get shit done yesterday. You have monthly meetings. You don't have to wait for elections to pass a bill. All you have to do is take a hundred of your friends to, to jump through court hoops and say, I want this on the agenda. You don't need to wait for your state legislator. You don't need to wait for your state senator. You 
don't need to wait for your stupid governor. You have way more And that's power where they sit down. Than on a federal level. All your little city council members think, shit, what is going to go on right now? Because you guys think that, that Goliath is massive, that we can't take down the... Have you guys realized what you've done? What you were doing? You can see the changing face of conservative or alternative media. We are the news, billboards, the letters, the communication. You guys are taking the reins. They hate that they're losing power, that they want to kill you. When you empower everyone else to feel the same and you encourage. And he needs to know more than ever that the people are behind him. You are many. They are few. That organized voice loud together. That's a big deal. You have all the power you need. Be that smart. All of it. And from small little fires going in a chain reaction across the nation. That's how you do it. You take it one bite at a time. See, when you learn to be a shark in a goldfish pond, you learn how to respond faster and attack better. The strongest people are the ones you think are the weakest. It's the outsider that makes a difference. It's the person that does things because they love something. Or are you going to chase the lion and pull the sheep out of its mouth? But you have to be unintimidated in the sight of evil people. You have to be confident. You have to stand tall because you have the armor of God around you. Fearlessness because you know that God wins. Fearlessness because you know that you are more powerful. And they know because it's coming. And nothing, nothing, and nothing. literally. How hard they try. Nothing is coming. coming. So are you guys ready to like take them on? Because I am. I'm ready in one of the biggest George Soros areas to fuck shit up. And the thing is, the guy's met me face to face. So he knows exactly who I am. <laughs> I had the balls to call him and bring him over and enticed him with money. Enticed him with money. And that's, that's the truth. They have nothing on you. For me, you know, I always thought there's karmic debt. There is. There is. And every time I would do something good, I would get 10 smacks. I didn't even know that I was sitting on evil, wrapped around my ankles in my own household, in my own household, as I was fighting for good in my own household. <laughs> didn't even see it. I was just so busy on a mission. Ah, boy. And I was like, see, all those things I've done. All those operations I've put together, all those people like him and his masters. And boy, there are other otherworldly things that we shouldn't talk about. I'll tell you what, I realized my karmic debt was paid. And I realized that this weekend. When I was coming back, when I was uh, flying back home, I had this little purse. Very expensive little purse, okay? It's been around for a while. It was a Christian Dior, right? I mean, you'd have to open it up and see that it was. It was a little coin purse. You know us ladies are extra. And we love paying extra. Why? Because um, if it breaks, the zipper breaks, you get it repaired for free. And so it had no labels, no nothing. And inside I had cash, $60 and headphones. 
And so I check in and I had this little purse attached like with a little clip thing on my bag. It's never come off. I mean, Phoebe's even worn it on herself. And, and you know, she's a teenager, moves around, runs around. They didn't even, nope. So my flight gets delayed again. <laughs> So I'm like, you know, and uh, actually in that airport, there was a smoking area yeah, out, outside in a cage place. But anyway, so as they were sitting down to eat Kidoba, I was like, I'm going to go get some coffee. And as I was getting some coffee, I noticed the escalators going down were right by the ticketing because we hadn't gone through TSA yet. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to go down to United and, and ask because that's who I flew back with. And, um, I went there, they were like, no, I was like, did anybody turn anything in? No. So as I was walking back, I had to go the long way cause I missed the spot where they were. And I see a sign that says police lost and found. And I was like, you know, it's, it's right there. Let me just go. And I thought to myself, well, you know, if it's there, my karmic debt is paid, but what are the odds when there's no ID? It's a little, little black purse. It's like a coin purse, right? What are the odds, right? That it's going to be there. So I walk in there not expecting to find it, but saying, you know, it was right there. And as I walk in, I was like, um, you know, it's the police station. I'm like, is this like the lost and found too? And they were like, yeah. I was like, well, um, I lost a purse. And they're like, like what size? I was like, it was a little coin purse. I, I'm not expecting to find it. What did it have in it? I said cash and headphones. And they were like, oh, it's right here. And I was like, what? My money was in there. My headphones was in there. Nothing was missing, nothing. And I was like, dang, dang. I, I realized that my karmic debt had been paid at that time because it was, you know, you could have taken it and, and I, I could have lost it in the bathroom. I could have lost it while I was walking on an escalator. I don't know where I lost it. I could have lost it when I was returning the rental car. Right. I could because at first I checked in. Right. And then I returned the rental. I'm not going to walk through and take trains and shit to the to the ticket desk with a suitcase. I'm not insane. I double park. I check in and then I go. Right. So. It came back to me. I'm telling you, nothing's ever come back to me like that. Uh, with IDs, they've never come back to me. Nothing. And this had Nothing. Nothing. Someone said they probably bugged. Dude, they bugged the crap out of my house. I'm pretty sure I have Alexas everywhere, Google Homes everywhere. You know why? Just to watch them skate. That they don't know how I'm doing it. <laughs> That's the fun part. I think I still have that little, you know. But you know what? They deserve it. They deserve it. So karmic debt is real. Um, it's, it's very real. And I think I've um, just been alleviated from it even though I don't think I'm worthy of it. Uh, that's true. So here's, um, here's what we're going to be doing. Cleveland is one of the most biggest strongholds that George Soros has aside from LA and New York. It's one of the biggest ones. It's the only one that's blue, right? It's the only one that with the riots, they really did a number in the city, but the only way to win is by taking turf away. You do it on your terms, right? your terms. And so I said that I wanted to file a lawsuit and I could it and I was pissed. Turns out it's a good thing it didn't because now I have more things to put in there and I'm going to go in there and do it. Maybe when I go and pin it on the door, 
I'll have, you know, a hundred friends. And when the video, the video is going to be ready tomorrow. I'm going to air it. That's what we're going to do. We're going to take it back. See, people like George Soros, people like the mafia that run the deep state, right? Usually got their playbooks from people like me. And I was the best, the damn best. And many might say, well, maybe you knew you were turning, you were black to turn white, but you were always white. Maybe. I mean, two groups of people came and recruited me out of uh, the Navy, two groups, one day and then the next one. Maybe. Maybe. No one's ever going to know. But what I can tell you is they were probably miffed that, you know, the minute I finished high school early here, I left and went overseas to hang out with my grandma. And, you know, I, I was off the grid for them. And then suddenly I popped back in, in the Navy. Right. So, you know, what you heard Cody talk about is, is real. I was at Fort Huachuca with an assumed name as a civilian training with all the soldiers. DLI assumed identity as well. Fort Bragg, Fort Gordon, you name it. I've trained there. You know, I like to call myself magical. You know, it's so difficult for me to not be salty when I see that people that are good, because I could see the good inside someone, you know, a lot of people can't stand the fact that I talk about Cernovich the way I do. I really like him because I can see the good in there. Literally. Literally. Um, I don't like what he says. I don't agree with everything he says. But inside, I know that it's not what you see, regardless of the lisp. And maybe that's why. But anyway, what I see is that control is what you need to understand is the name of the game here. Casualties, they don't care. It's all about control. They want to control everything. Even the good guys do. They need to keep you in check because you're too stupid to make decisions for yourself. They need to keep you in check. Oh, they operate. And this is why they silence you. As we move forward now until October, right? As we move now into October, I want you to understand that just because someone is telling you they're the leader or that they're helping you, it's not real. Anyone who is for the people is about you being the leader, not them. You're the leader, not them. They are not the leader. And this is why they don't want you to be that woke. It sucks. It really does suck. But I want you to remember that. Now, as I said before, we're in this uh, democratic <laughs> totalitarianism, right? 
I wanted to go into it um, a little bit with um, Agnes Heller on the danger of totalitarianism. She did this um, uh, interview um, at the Nexus conference on how to change the world. And she's, she speaks quite eloquently on the topic. So I want you guys um, to listen to Agnes because she's, she's, she knew what she was talking about. So I listened to the second session and I think three very important questions were asked. The first question, which was criticized, that the world readers treat the conflicts of the world as if a word conflict would be like a mathematical equation. It would have be a, a solution, a good solution. But these conflicts cannot be solved. Mostly they can't. They must be handled, they must be kept under control, but they are not mathematical equations. People are not numbers. Second, was a very important issue raised about whether in a democracy we need a cultural lead. Basically, people believe that they don't, because everything is about quantity, nothing about quality, but wrong. I think those uh, participants who raised the question is, this spirit were right. Democracy needs a culture lead. And the third issue was about education, whether education institutions should be like a marketing institution that is produced kids for the market and behave as a market. And that's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. They have a right, it is wrong. It has to do with the first, uh, second question. If democracy needs a cultural lead, then in cultural institutions, especially educational institutions, should not function as a market because not, not this is their function. Their function is to create a cultural lead. How did our education become so market-oriented, and what is to be done? It happened in the last half a century that education became market-oriented in two senses. Education institutions became behaved as institution of the market. They became a market. They were producing young people for certain kind of professions. And people, young people, took a kind of profession in order to get a better salary, a better, better position. That's all wrong because, and it's wrong even from the standpoint of technology, even from the standpoint of physics, chemistry. Because if you teach young people the physics or chemistry, which is actually the leading branch in science, the moment they finish school, it won't be anymore important for this branch of science. Or if you learn something with general, universal, you learn philosophy, higher mathematics, higher physics, Greek or uh, Latin language, so and logic and philosophy, learn all these capacities, abilities to argue, to think in abstract notions, to think logically, so to concentrate concentrate and to contemplate and to memorize. You, you learn everything which you later on can actually, you can use it. It's not a specialized subject matter, but you can use it all possible specialized subject matters. <coughs> You're on the first panel, so you've been talking a lot about the crisis in our world and the 20th century. How do you see the 21st century? Is it going to get better or worse? I cannot, I don't see any, 
uh, the 21st century. We are at the beginning of the 21st century. Think, uh, think at the beginning of the 20th century. Think about 1912. But in 1912, you could have foreseen what's going to happen in 14 or 34 or or 33 or or 42. It was impossible. So I think at the present moment, right now, 2012, 100 years after 9012, so we cannot know, we cannot possibly know what's going to happen in our century. We can only hope that it will be better, far better than the 20th century. But we have to contribute to this betterment. Here is the problem of changing the world. You cannot change the world as such. But if you have in mind that this a conflict between democracy and totalitarianism, especially in Europe, between re republicanism and bonapartism, which is a, a European conflict from the beginning of modernity. That in this situation, in this conflict, you have to take the position of republicanism, of democracy, as against monopartism, totalitarian government, and that the danger of totalitarianism is not gone. This danger is always present in the modern world, because it is a modern political institution. It was totally wrong when people believed that totalitarianism is something middle-aged or something re reactionary. It's, it's, it's absolutely not the case. It is as modern as democracy. And that's why in a modern world, you have to face the danger that they can be reborn. And this basically we change the world in order uh, to prevent the world from embracing against different kinds of forms of bonapartism or totalitarian movements and states. All right. And uh, what does that mean for the individual? We that live in the, this complicated modern age. How should we live to live right? It's a very difficult question. How to conduct a good life in a modern world? I have an answer to this question, but I think the answer, which looks complicated, is basically simple. We have to choose ourselves. We have to choose ourselves as decent human beings. And if we once have chosen ourselves as decent human beings, then we will become a kind of person for which you have chosen ourselves. That is, if we choose ourselves as decent beings, we will become decent beings. Now, the other things which we can do, be a decent citizen, a good citizen, who does not spare money, either money, time, uh, participation, effort, uh, for helping the Republican institution to stay alive and to develop. And the third question is, how can you uh, influence the public? Uh, you are philosophers, sociologists, uh, uh, journalists, etc., etc. One has to learn to translate the issues of our own specialty into a common language so that everyone can understand it. You cannot educate the public in another way. If you confront the public with the sophisticated language of your subject matter, if they don't understand it and they push it aside. So you need to learn how to express yourself in the language everyone who gives the minimum effort, everyone can understand. This is why you can contribute to the 
development of a discursive culture. Discursive culture is very, very important. That is the public, what does the public learn? To argue, to listen to argument of the others, not to abuse someone because he has a different opinion, to think with his or her own mind, to learn to think with the mind of someone else, and then to try to think in a way uh, consistently. And this is what people can learn that, people can learn. Of course, we have emotions, we have passions, we are one-sided. Everyone has, has his or her prejudices. There is no person without prejudice. We don't look at ourselves as others look at us and vice versa. And this is true about cultures. You are a Dutch, you don't look at the Dutch uh, in the way as Germans or English look at the Dutch and vice versa. You have all prejudices, obviously. The how can you overcome this prejudice? Not entirely, but only by listening to the other opinion, not rejecting the other. That what he says is rubbish and that's an alien, that's an enemy, but the other has also his or her position, have to take the other seriously. You will not overcome your prejudices thereby, but you still enter kind of discursive culture. That was incredible. Exactly. That's the problem that we have, is that when you don't understand someone, you dismiss them. When you're not in their shoes and have empathy and compassion, you dismiss them. But this is exactly what the New Age did. It removed the proximity to human beings in order to be able to see them. It removed the need for communication. <laughs> and on top of that, I've said this many times, if you can't explain it simply enough, then you don't master the topic. And the problem that she pointed out is that those in the media should be experts in what they are conveying. And they need to bring it to a level that everyone can understand. And they haven't been doing that. They haven't been educating the public on matters that matter now. And that's one uh, thing that I got feedback from uh, the lawyers when they filed my affidavit. They said, this is too intricate. Not many people understand it. And I said, that's the point my affidavit is supposed to be the foundations for all the experts to do the work. So you should understand how important this symposium is and why the fear of sabotage is there. Because that is explaining a very intricate, but I guess my audience that has been listening to it understands it 100%. Because they've become masters of understanding what off-the-shelf systems do, how they communicate. So while all of you are watching the symposium, I know a lot of you are like, wait a minute, I know that. I've been taught, I understand that. I totally get that. And I know how they did that. I know what a crypto trap door is. I know how they can prove, oops, I know what the air gap is. Oop, I know what this is. Whereas while they were explaining it to the layman's, they couldn't. Because it's really difficult for someone to bring it down to a level. Why? I'm not saying they don't master it. They just don't master it well enough to bring it to the people. That's the problem. <laughs> that is the problem. So what she's explaining is pretty simple. In other news, before we move into other news, I wanted to show you guys some, now someone emailed this to me and I had seen it, but I want you to look at something 
quite interesting. No, stop, stop, no. All right. So I want, I want to zoom in here because you're going to find this quite interesting. So today, two major hacks happened. So one of them was the major tea party group that was backed by salsa billionaire and other wealthy donors was hacked. Data. Data, 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 data. Three million patriots, all their information taken. <laughs> what have we said about hacks? See, I don't even have to get into it. But I want you to look at something. The largest donor was Texas billionaire Christopher Goldsbury, who made his fortune selling salsa company Pace Foods to Campbell's Soup in 94. On September 11th, 2019, Goldsbury donated a million dollars to the TPP Foundation, the Tea Party Foundation, right, via wire transfer. According to the tax documents, the TPP Foundation took $1.2 million in revenue that year. Goldsbury, what is the cat doing He's upset. Goldsbury had been a TPP member since 2014 and had already donated $20,000 on three separate. Meanwhile, activity by the group's members appears to have waned. The Intercept found just 144,000 members marked active. Oh, that's a really specific number. Very specific. Uh, they were marked active on online data versus a claim of the network saying 3 million activists, 3 million supporters. <laughs> so that's one. And then another hack that happened was $600 million in loss shines the light on Duffy security. So apparently people that um, had the Chinese cross-chain Duffy platform, Polynet Network, um, were hit with an exploit of smart contract vulnerability in its Ethereum cross-chain manager contract. So basically, um, it impacted three separate blockchains, which is Ethereum's, Binance, Smart Chain, and other numerous cryptocurrencies. So people lost a lot of money today uh, using this uh, Poly network. And they had been hacked. So there's a lot of hacking, uh, a lot of hacking going around, a lot of data grabs going around. And this is why I'm totally against this whole data grab. But I just wanted to show you just how biblical things are getting. We needed to, to kind of see it. And not only that, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I found this clip that Newsmax did. But have you guys followed that cringy TikTok? They're making a mockery out of our White House. It is the most disgusting thing I have ever seen. It is so crass, so loser-like. This is what represents your nation. It's disgusting. Consistent about the messaging on this is the shame and the heavy-handed nature and the top-down nature by which they want to implement it. And, you know, going back to um, the situation at the White House with President Biden, um, you know, they do have a new intern there. You guys may have seen this uh, intern at the White House. His name is Benny Z, maybe he could have, or Benny Drama, uh, Gen Z TikTok influencer, maybe he could have put up some signs to direct people around the White House. But here is a clip that the White House released uh, of Benny Drama pushing for vaccines. Hi, my name is Cooper, and this is a day in my life as a White House intern. Hey, Jenny, I booked you a nail appointment, love. Yeah, I didn't tell you to do that. It's called Initiative. <laughs> is Olivia Rodrigo still here? No. We've come a long way in our fight against this virus. We've vaccinated 160 million Americans. Are you getting this all down? Don't worry, Queen. It's all right here. If anyone's skeptical out there, TW, about getting vaccinated, you think this is going to move the needle, change anyone's opinion? 
Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, they've made a complete mockery and spectacle of the White House. I think it's shameful. Uh, but, you know, this is just more of the same from this administration. You've got. How crass and disgusting was that? Right. That was so cringy. It was terrible. It seemed like it seemed like a skit from SNL. Like there was no way that that could be real. And it was real. I want to know who thought that was a good idea. How was this even a good idea? How was it? Well, here's how upset they are. Remember, I told you that they're upset when you rise up and thank God for the people. Thank God. And we're going to be real busy this month, especially next month. But this month, I'm going to be tapping my Ohio peeps. Yo, we got a lot to do. And unfortunately, Kansas huh, put this whole quarantine thing together. Damn you little bitches. It's going to happen, though. Ooh. So I wanted to show you guys um, this, um, this exertion of anger. How dare you? How dare you? Question me. How dare you come at me, says Newsom. If our homegrown teams start focusing on what's right, everybody outside this state is about this state. <laughs> he said everybody outside this state is bitching about this state. Hey, Newsom, there's been a cow exit, you loser. It's your own people that are bitching about the state. He's so upset. How dare you? That was California Governor Gavin Newsom snapping at reporters last week. The reporters didn't get the memo that, that, that people shouldn't complain when socialism ruins their lives. Here to weigh in, chairman of RescueCalifornia.org, Tom Del Beccaro, and political analyst and host of Mark Halperin's focus group, Mark Halperin. Uh, welcome, gentlemen, to you both. Uh, Tom, we'll start with you. Uh, Larry Elder just picked up a big endorsement from Clint Eastwood. And I hear the polls are turning on Newsom. He's, he looks like he's feeling the pressure. I Larry Elder, who hates Americans and freedom and free will. Shut up. Whether it's wildfires, homelessness, drought restriction, 65 percent. I'm going to ask Mark if he's ever seen a poll in a blue state where 65 percent of the people say crime is rising. That's a staggering poll. Forty eight percent of the registered voters are Democrats. So the pro his problem is in-state with crime, homelessness, cost of living. And, you know, the nation's suffering too. The nation pays for Gavin Newsom and his policies because they've restricted food supply, so that raises food prices. They've restricted energy production, that raises... Did you hear that? Restricted food supply. I mean, I told you in the nicest way I could without making you freak out. While many people are like, what should I do? Should I move? You should pray and you should be vocal and you should be active and you should be doing what that old lady said, which is get active and work as a citizen. These people have no power. You have it all. Even these tools that are reporting on this have no power. They have fancy graphics, fancy this, but they are nobody without you. That's the key. Nobody without you. Nobody without you. Prices across the country. California is a mess, well, and that's why we're recalling them. Let's tee that up for Mark. Mark, weigh in on this. How do you handicap the California race, and what about those poll numbers? Well, I'd add to Tom's list immigration, which I hear from all the time from folks in California, not just those. Yeah, okay, we don't need to get into it because they're pushing their own new candidate. Because, you, know, you know, a lot of people say, well, you guys thought you knew better. Yeah. They even say it. 
These people can't vote. They don't know what's good for them. You think that the white hats don't say the same thing about you? They don't know what's good for them. We know what's really going on. We're going to protect them. No, fuck you. The people can make their own decisions as long as they have the information. As long as you hide shit, right? They're never going to know. And they'll never be able to make informed decisions and be informed voters. So it's the same thing. Two sides, same coin. That's why they hate Tory so much. Because <laughs> it's like, no, man, it's all about control. Like I was sitting with Patrick Berge in the car after we were discussing some stuff about the audits. And he was like, damn, it sounds like a data grab to me. I was like, yep. And today, while we were watching the symposium, as they were like, yeah, yeah, we just need to take all of it and image all of them. You don't need to image shit. You should look at it and then dump it. You shouldn't own that data, right? Unless, you know, you're at risk of them purging it. That's a different story. As long as there's a chain of custody and no copies made and kept. Because your data is gold. Gold. Super gold. The only way we're going to fix this is by impeaching 44. Up to there. I mean, we already got rid of the other guy. Don't worry about that. But we need to impeach 44 because the one thing we need to undo is fucking Obamacare. But the only way we do this is if we bring the other side to us. So what we're going to do is hijack it. Steal back words. Hijack their movement. They hijacked Stop the Steal. We're going to hijack Soros' plan. You watch how we irritate them. You're going to get a, a taste of it, of where we're going with this at the end of the show. Oh, man, it's gotten, it went longer than I thought. So I guess I'll go there after we hear Emerald tell us about this amazing infrastructure plan <laughs> that calls you a threat and that you can be arrested for speaking up against the government. Yeah, read the details. So awesome. Well, now his re resignation not quieting the calls for impeachment, and it did not do anything to stop an Albany County Sheriff's criminal investigation into these allegations. Sheriff Craig Apples ever about 2006 and want that job. AOC Al Sharpton, seriously, Claudia, these are Congresswoman, I should say these are some of the names being floated out there. Uh, I saw the New York Times uh, quoted Al Sharpton as saying he's been approached by this. Is anyone really seriously considering Al Sharpton? Well, if you looked at my Twitter feed yesterday, I said, look, I wanted Andrew Cuomo. I've been out calling for his resignations since 2014. Yesterday. Uh Guys, I've been trying to write this article about Cuomo for a while. <clears throat> I'm really trying. I, I don't say things because I know a lot of people worry too, but I am very busy too. So um, we don't need to talk about that right now. You'll have everything you need to know on that, but it had to do with this bill too. Democrats. They passed it, but until we see the budget, it goes in the Senate first, then it comes to the House, and then we send it back as a reconciliation. And reconciliation will be a, a, a re fuller reflection of our values to build back better. Three and a half trillion dollars to reflect their values. Uh, Congresswoman, you know, Nancy Pelosi is going to potentially gum up the works here with this whole thing. What are Republicans planning to do to stop this? Well, I hope that they're going to propose amendments and try to get some reasonable as, or, or the new standard as normal Democrats, uh, as stated by my colleague, uh, Peter King, some normal Democrats to realize that, you know, this, this all sounds like fun and games, but when you look at the actual cost based and adding inflation over the years, this 
infrastructure bill and, and tied with the, the new reconciliation is four times larger than FDR's New Deal back you know, in the, in the beginning of the welfare state. This is really a disaster. It's filled with climate initiatives. I want you to listen to that again, to what she just said. Larger than FDR's New Deal back you know, in the, in the beginning of the welfare state. Back in the beginning of the welfare state, when they brought on Social Security, what are you thinking that they need it for? You get what I'm saying? This is why you are still free on damn paper and you need to get mobilized. Stop listening to those idiots out there. Stop listening to those idiots. I can't even tell you to stop because you have your own free will. You know what? You should stop listening to those idiots out there if you want to maintain your freedom. How's that? Because she just told you everything you need to know. I'm going to repeat that. The new reconciliation is four times larger than FDR's New Deal back, you know, in the in the beginning of the welfare state. This is really a disaster. It's filled with climate initiatives. And I come from New York State where I, I can't emphasize enough that we do have problems with our infrastructure. And it's largely because of the Cuomo's, because most of the roads in New York State are local roads and they've been failed to be funded. The, the local roads funding has been probably at you know, flat or even less than flat funding over the years without accounting for inflation. But yet we're implementing the Green New Deal and all kinds of so-called human infrastructure and the infrastructure side of it. I think it's going to be a disaster. New Yorkers are suffering already with high prices and inflation. Uh, this could really hurt us in the long run. Yeah, especially if you start seeing more electric vehicles in the federal government's fleet before you start seeing those potholes getting fixed. I mean, that's what people know as infrastructure, roads and bridges. I'm not so sure about electric cars, Congressman King. And then, you know, there are obviously concerns about inflation here as it relates to this. But, you know, in all your years of working in government, Congressman King, could you have imagined that they'd be talking about three and a half trillion dollars like it's no big deal? Oh, we'll just do it in a, you know, resolution, uh, uh, reconciliation. Just just three and a half trillion dollars. That's it. This is the most extravagant overreach I can imagine. I mean, this is just uh, goes, goes beyond anything. And also what they're doing is they're distorting the English language. And Claudia and I agree we need more infrastructure. We certainly need it in New York. But let's define its infrastructure. Mm -hmm. They can find anything that can perhaps uh, help human development anywhere suddenly becomes part of infrastructure. And that is it's lying to the American people. It's distorting it. And we should be focusing on the Okay, so um, someone says she said it. Tori reiterates, you still don't understand. Okay, Gertie, let me make it simpler because maybe it wasn't. Um, and forgive me for that. FDR passed this massive budget right when he started to destroy families, right when he tagged us with numbers called Social Security. This is what happened. They put money into it for human infrastructure. Now they're doing it again under the guise of human infrastructure. Remember, we have planes that are from the 50s, and now they want to buy themselves electric vehicles, apparently. And they want to push the Green New Deal, apparently. It's not so. If you look at the FDR budget, remember the war that happened later. Remember the changes that happened. Your history tells you everything you need to know infrastructure and realizing that somebody has to pay for this. There is going to be inflation. Yep. Uh, listen, no one's saying we're going to have a balanced budget today or tomorrow. But the fact is, we have to start to rein in the spending and we have to confine it to infrastructure, which could in the end bring, end up bringing revenues back into the country by, you know, by encouraging the economy. Uh, 
by moving the economy forward. But these wild schemes they have, which are just really variations of AOC, are, uh, to me, uh, really, really bad. Yeah, we're hearing about reports from Elizabeth Warren and Angus King about a windfall profits tax on uh, corporations as well. Those tax increases are coming sooner or later, if this does get through there. Great to see you both, Congresswoman Claudia Tinney and former Congressman Pete. So let me show you what the future's like with this bill. Remember, FDR didn't start out bad, but they got him in the end. You gotta, what is it? Replicate. We'll watch that video again by Tom McDonald. And what I want you to do is listen to the words of it. But before we do, you need to see what's coming. And you're going to see how we're going to turn it on its head. Folks, so long, in fact, it spans the whole country. By the end of this week, one third of our kids will be back in school. Begs the question, what kind of environment are we sending our kids back into? This summer has been a summer of chaos for our nation's schools, teachers, and most importantly, parents. Contrary to the current land grab by our teachers, parents still have the right to decide what our kids are being exposed to in school. At least that was until the Democrats took control of D.C. Now, it seems that the liberal leftists running the teachers unions think they can do whatever they want to our children, even when it borders on brainwashing. These buffoons think they can indoctrinate our most vulnerable minds with their liberal theories and propaganda-laced policies, and we just stand by and nod our heads approvingly. Think again, teach. To Loudoun County, Virginia, the epicenter of the fight over critical race theory being taught in America, we've seen countless parents fed up with a program that suggests white kids should be apologetic for being white, and black kids should feel oppressed even when there is no sign of oppression. In Loudoun County, it's crossed the line. Apparently, the teachers' union is demanding teachers rat out other teachers for their opinions if those opinions don't agree with critical race theory. And get this, I'm not talking about in the classroom. No, these commies want teachers to turn in fellow teachers who say things in their personal lives. Don't believe me? Just watch as Laura Morris, a fifth grade teacher in Loudoun County school system, resigns because she can't take it anymore. So since my contract outlines the power that you have over my employment in Loudoun County Public Schools, I thought it necessary to resign in front of you. Scored, I quit. I quit your policies. I quit your trainings. And I quit being a cog in a machine that tells me to push highly politicized agendas on our most vulnerable constituents, the children. I will find employment elsewhere. I encourage all parents and staff in this county to flood the private schools. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That is just sad. When the teachers union said they were focusing on division this year, I had no idea they meant critical race theory. Now, staying on the subject of long division, let's head south a piece to Atlanta, Georgia, where segregation is still illegal. Title VI of the Civil Rights Act prohibits children being segregated by race in our classrooms. Someone tell that to the folks in the Atlanta School District, where Lynn Elementary has decided segregating kids by race is best for them. Now, pay attention to this, because this is what we're taking back. Kyla Posey, who is black, claims principal Sharon Briscoe, who is also black, told her she believes segregated classes were the best interest of the students. Wow. What's going on in the Atlanta School District, folks? You're getting an F in communication, Atlanta. Speaking of Fs, solid Fs, in fact, Oregon Governor Kate Brown, a Democrat, 
recently signed a bill that drops the requirement that high school students prove proficiency in reading, writing, or math before graduation. In an effort to woke explain the move, the governor's office said this about the move. The new standards for graduation will help benefit these states, quote, black, Latino, Latinx, indigenous, Asian, Pacific Islander, tribal, and students of color. So in other words, black kids, brown kids, Pacific Islanders, uh, you know, indigenous, whatever, anyone but white is too stupid to prove that they're eligible to graduate. Are you listening? Wow. So far, Democrats running the nation's schools are getting A's in segregation and division and solid F's in social studies. And we haven't even gotten to mask mandates in schools. You just watched Newsmax TV, America's fastest growing. So, yeah, so that's the topic of tomorrow's discussion and how a simple lawsuit that's being filed in the city of Cleveland against the whole city council of Cleveland will help us because you are not feeble-minded. It is atrocious what we're seeing. And the racists, the people that are calling you racist are the real racists. And when you see what they're really doing, you're going to say, wait a minute, I've seen this movie before. But like I said, FDR and many other people, let me see if he has, he doesn't have, um, does he have any, uh, does he have, nope, there's no subtitles. So you're going to have to listen. And those of you on Twitch, I'm going to pick a cool raid today again. Let's make sure that the volume is on. And here we go. Burning the artists who challenge the sacrificial lambs. The labels and devils are shaking hands, creating our artists and lambs. The executions have been televised, though. They're on TMZ like a night. They take our heroes, give us weaponized clones. The revolution won't be televised. I can't be replicated. Copy the attitude and it changed. But no one will ever do me the same. I can't be replicated. Try to control me, then guess again. Rebellion lives in my DNA. I can't be replicated Duplicated, imitated, fabricated, eliminated No, I can't be replicated the system designed me to be a slave I'm the bitch in the matrix that can't escape I can't be replicated If they killed the rappers who were spitting truth They wouldn't have a messenger to reach the youth So they duplicate physically, implant abilities Replicate tattoos in cloning facilities Indie contracts say worldwide 